Good morning. That was great singing. Thank you for that. Um, Daniel chapter 4. Would you open your Bible there? We're going to start there. I want to, I swapped with Adam today. He's speaking for me over at Santa Clarita Christian, and I'm speaking here today because I wanted to shepherd a little bit as uh, a part of our campus family just to shape some perspectives in light of last night. Who besides me was up too late and waited too long? And yeah, it was a long night. And who would have thought? And it's like, wow, um, big, big, big evening. By the way, tomorrow's a big day for our uh, women's and men's soccer team. They are in the uh, playoffs down at Biola. 2.30 for the men against Westmont, and 7 o'clock, women against Vanguard. And that's a big deal. So support our teammates and our classmates and be aware of that. And if you can get down to Biola to cheer. We want to bleed blue and go gold together. I wanted to give you, uh, so what do you do now? And I would have made these comments, frankly, regardless of who was our president-elect. I uh, shared some of this with my fellowship group at Grace on Sunday because I think it's important for the Christian to understand and respond rightly in light of such critical happenings in our culture. And it was a big deal last night. It's a big deal for our country. It's a defining moment. But I want, you to, I want you to think, so what does anyone do who is a believer of the Word of God and a follower of Jesus Christ and an acknowledger of His Lordship and kingship, what do they do? I'm going to give you a couple of things, and I'm going to preach on the third one. First one is, what do you do? You recognize His rule. What does a Christian do? They recognize the rule of God, and they do two things. They rejoice in that, they praise God for that, and they rest in light of that. We voted, but God chose. Read with me Daniel chapter 4. And this is a sane viewpoint after Nebuchadnezzar comes out of his seven years of insanity where he had lost his mind due to the judgment of God. He, he comes to himself. His reason returns. And at the end of verse 34, Daniel 4, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar talking, I raised my eyes toward heaven, my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. Now, why did he rejoice and praise and honor? For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are, as a, are accounted as nothing. Now, watch 35. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then he speaks of the fact that he was reestablished in his sovereignty. And he concludes this chapter with these words, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, greatest king on the planet, Praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. I, the sovereign on the earth, acknowledge the sovereign in heaven. I rejoice in his rule. I recognize his rule. I worship him. And I rest in him.
What do people do in light of where we are now? They rest in God's rule and they rejoice in God's rule and they recognize God's rule. We relax and we rejoice. Where are we headed as a country? God knows. God prescribes. God ordains. And we worship him because of that. Can you say amen to that? Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We touched on this yesterday. Daniel did. And I want to highlight a couple of things. Second thing you do in light of the word of God and light of where we are, we not only recognize his rule and we rest and rejoice in it, but we prioritize prayer. And we promote God's purpose and passion through prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, what do you do? You recognize as rule number two, you prioritize prayer and you promote God's purposes and passions through prayer. First of all, first in time, first in priority, above all other priorities, the first thing a Christian does, according to Paul, first of all, I urge that in treaties. The word urge means to exhort, to challenge parakaleo, to call you to something. Now, he uses four words. Entreaties is the word, it's a deasis, it's the word of a beggar. It's a person who's down on the ground looking up and saying, I desperately need your help. Please, please, please. I was doing a little bit of that last night while the election returns were coming in. Please, God, be gracious to us. Recent uh, verse that I encountered in my daily time with God, Psalm 12, verse 8, says, The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among men. God, please don't let a platform govern our country that promotes vileness among men. This election matters. Because this election affects the amount of evil that is offensive to God and injurious to men. God, please, that's deasis. That's down on your knees, raising your hands, looking up as a beggar to a provider saying, please help me. Christian church, Christian student, follower of Jesus Christ, First of all, be a beggar from God saying, I'm looking up and I'm pleading with you to provide. Not just for all men, but for those who lead our country. Then the word prayers, prosukas, means to not be down on your knees looking up and desperately begging, but it is down on my knees, face to the floor, looking down in worship and acknowledging. I am acknowledging, God, your place, your station. I'm worshiping. I'm not just begging. I'm worshiping. I'm acknowledging. That's the word prayers. Petitions is an interesting word. It means to conference. In two case, it means face-to-face. So I, I look up to a provider. I bow down to the king of everything, and I go face-to-face in conference with my father. This is conversation that says, God, this is where I'm at. This is where we are. 
This is what I see. This is what I need. This is what we need. God help us. God provide for us. This is looking up like a beggar. This is looking down like a worshiper. This is looking to our king like a father. And then finally, and thanksgivings. That's responding to God like a provider. Thank you. And that's to be done on behalf of all men, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead. Now watch the in order that we may lead. We're praying so that something happens for us, not just to us, that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life that has to do with inward peace and outward peace. And in all godliness and dignity, this has to do with the nobility of our life before God. That's godliness. Dignity has to do with our nobility before men. God, will you allow us to live in a way undistracted to the end that we might be the men and women we ought to be. We might enjoy peace on the inside tranquility on the outside, that we might behave rightly before you, and we might live nobly before men. Why? Watch the next verse. Well, by the way, verse 3, this is good. That's kalos, not agathos. Agathos is when it's practically good. It is practically good, but it's more than practically good. When you are praying to that end and we're able to live that way, it produces a God-honoring good. This word is noble good. This is God-honoring good. It's not just practical good. It's God-exalting good. This is good. It exalts God. It's acceptable. God welcomes it. This is what he wishes for. Now look at verse 4, and I don't want to divorce these prayers from these passions. This is good and acceptable because in the sight of God our Savior, because, verse 4, He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The driver behind prioritizing prayer is to promote the passion of God, which is the salvation of the lost. The driver for this prayer is to the end that you might be a maximized agent to advance God's purposes so that you live in a way and you enjoy freedoms in a way that maximize the potential for the proclamation of the gospel because there is only one mediator, there's one God, verse 5, one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. There is only one provision that saves, Jesus, the gospel. And the heart of God is to promote the gospel. And the first, foremost way you promote that pursuit is by praying like a beggar looking up, like a worshiper bowing down, like a son or daughter to the Father face to face, responding in gratitude because you know the King of everything is ruling to the end that His world will experience the proclamation of truth to the end that Jesus Christ is proclaimed and that people are saved and you are cardinal and critical to that pursuit and passion of God, both through prayer and through the way you live. What do you do in a time like this? You recognize God's rule, you rejoice and you rest in that rule. You praise Him. You rest in His sovereignty. And then you prioritize prayer. We're coming out of a day of prayer, but God forbid that it's only that day. 
God accomplishes nothing apart from prayer. God does nothing apart from prayer. That's why it's first of all. Prayer is the engine that God desires to use to mobilize His work in the world today through God's people, and you are critical, cardinal, and impactful to the greatest passion on the heart of God, His glory through the salvation that He provides through His only begotten Son. And you are the mouthpiece of that, and you're the promoter of that, and you're to pray to that end. Can you say amen to that? Proverbs chapter 23. What I want to punctuate today is the third thing you do after a while. What a night was that. Where are we headed? Where are we going? My message to you today in the time that we have is what does a Christian do in a world like ours? They do what anyone would do who wants to live a prosperous, productive life and who wants to maximize their impact for the king of everything, the king of kings. My message to you today, the third thing, is maximize and capitalize. Maximize your potential. Capitalize on the opportunity you have right now in this time, this place, and a world like ours in which you live. And to that end, I want to promote one big emphatic yes. Something that I want to invite you to commit yourself to and to live out of that conviction in a way that will maximize your productivity, in a way that will result in the kind of life that God wants you to have, a productive life, a prosperous life in the ways that He defines it, and in a life that has an impact in the world in which you live. You're in one of the greatest places in time and history to promote the things that matter the most. It will be clearer than ever before in our country. And this is the big emphatic ingredient that will maximize your life as a follower of the king. And this is the ingredient that you need to capitalize on to achieve that end. All right, Proverbs chapter 23. This is a king to his constituents. This is a king to his sons. This is a king to parents in his kingdom to promote a productive life path that will result in a maximized life to the end that the kingdom is advanced and lives are encouraged and edified. This is the foundation for prosperous living. This is a king to his people saying these are the ingredients. And he highlights one emphatic one at the end of this section. This is the end of a section in Proverbs. Proverbs is broken up in different ways. This is the end of a section, like the culmination. Hey, as the king, let me exhort you to this. Above all else, make sure you do this, and for sure, because you do this, don't do these other things. All right, let's read together. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 Maximize and capitalize. What do you do to live a prosperous life and powerfully impact the world for the king? Verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners. 
Live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who begets a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Give me your heart, my son. Let your eyes delight in my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Surely she lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will utter perverse things, and you'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of the mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. This section of Proverbs could be called the path to pleased parents or the path to parental pleasure. Because this passage houses an emphatic yes, a resolve of the heart, a decision that a child, a son or a daughter is to make to promote the joy and gladness of a parent's heart, and to make decisive decisions to say some necessary no's that undermine that intention. Let's begin with the emphatic yes, and then we'll talk about the necessary no's. This is how you maximize. This is what you do in a time like ours to live a prosperous life and have productive impact on behalf of the king. Verse 23 is the key emphatic yes. And surrounding it are a bunch of necessary no's that are prosperity prohibitors and impact defeaters. Verse 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, which is truth, perspectives of truth from God's Word. Get truth, perspectives from God's Word and instruction, which is training in the truth and Get understanding, which is the ability to apply the truth. Master's University student, citizen of a kingdom not of this world, but the one that is to come. Citizen and follower of the King of Kings. Maximize your influence maximize your life 
by declaring in your heart with an emphatic yes, I will buy the truth and I will not sell it. I'll extract from the truth perspectives from God's word that make me wise. I'll receive training in God's truth that will instruct me as to how to live. I will gain understanding, the ability to apply the truth to the end that I might not just please my parents, but maximize my potential for the glory of God. Buy the truth. Don't sell it. Well, first of all, if you're going to buy something, you have to understand what that something is you're attempting to buy. In the world in which you live and function, the truth is a debated issue. It's a relative term. If they even, there even is such a thing as truth, like Pilate, our world is saying, what is truth? Here's some interesting perspective. The world you live in and will stand out in and minister through and to Recent studies, 81% of your generation and our culture believe that all truth is relative to the individual and his or her circumstances. They believe that what is right or wrong is determined for them personally. 70% of church young people believe there is no absolute moral truth. Coming from good churches and perhaps good homes, they don't believe that there is truth outside of themselves that determines right and wrong. They do not believe 70% of church-going, or I won't call them evangelicals, church young people, believe that what is right, there is nothing that is universally true that is right for all people in all places at all times. They've been conditioned to believe, as our culture promotes, that each individual has been given the right to say or to do what that person thinks is best for him or her. Our culture, the one you live in, the world you walk in, fundamentally believes and has adopted the truth or the moral concept that there is no moral truth that is true until they choose to believe it. They believe that the act of believing makes things true. And then once believed, those things will be true for them until they choose to believe something else. So it's either there is no truth or if there is truth, you can't know it. Or the truth is defined by me, by what I believe and perceive about it. Let's talk truth. First of all, the word truth and the word used in this text, which is consistent with the English word truth, comes from the word reliable, faithful. It has to do with that which is accurate according to reality. Something is true when it conforms to reality, when it's faithful to reality. Something is true when it ac accurately reflects what is. It's true if it is. It's not true if you perceive it is or believe it is. It's true if it is. If it's a faithful to reality claim. It has fidelity. It's the state of being. It's the way things really are. And one of the things that happens in our culture is there's a temptation, and often the case, that truth is defined by what works. 
Matter of fact, I've heard people say, hey, Christianity isn't true because it doesn't work, as if, if it works pragmatically that it must be true. No, it's true if it's true. It's true if it's consistent with reality, if it's faithful to reality, whether you perceive it works or not. And who's to say how long you have to try something before you determine whether it works or doesn't work? The truth is not what you perceive is, but what is. Your perception of the truth may not be reality. Truth is not what works, but what is. Truth is not necessarily what works. Truth is what is true, accurate, and faithful to reality. That's what you're to buy. Where do you find that? If you're going to buy something, you have to know where to find it. The Bible prescribes that truth has great value because the truth is revealed in a real person. The truth is found personified in a person. The New Testament records that person personifying the truth is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who was made flesh, John 1.14. He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. Verse 17, John 1, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus was the personification and declaration of the truth. When he stood before Pilate, and Pilate said to him in John 18, 37, So you're a king? Jesus responds, You say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. 65% say they believe there is no way to tell which religion is true. Jesus Christ says, I'm the declarer of the truth. I am the truth. It defines me. God's glory is revealed through me. I am the truth. I came to declare it. I am the source of it. John 8, 45. I speak the truth. So if you're going to buy something, you've got to know where it's found. And where it's found is in the person of Jesus Christ and the revelation of him in God's word. Number two, it's in a true revelation, not just in a real person. It's a true revelation. It's God's word. This trustworthy record from which I'm preaching and from which you are reading is the revelation of truth. Psalm 119, 142, the law, thy law is truth. All your commandments, Psalm 119, 151, are truth. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of thy word is truth. Sanctify them, John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, with the truth. Thy word is truth. John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, because the truth is in God's word. The truth is God's word. Buy that. Buy implies cost. Invest in that. Seek that. Buy the truth. Don't sell it. 
the truth as revealed in a real person, God's Son, and the truth revealed in a true revelation, God's Word. Invest in that. Proactively seek that. And whatever you do, don't sell out on that. Truth matters. We had that on a big billboard here this week when we talked about the world of politics. Truth matters because God is a God of truth. Psalm 31.5, He's the God of truth. Psalm Isaiah 65.16, I'm a God of truth. His glory consists of the truth. His name identifies with the truth. Remember when God talked to Moses, or Moses talked to God, and said, let your glory pass before me, and God said he would, and he passed by in his glory, he declared his name, and he revealed his glory. Listen to one of the key aspects of his glory. The Lord God passed in front of Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and truth. He's identified by it. His glory consists of it. He's described by it. That's what Nebuchadnezzar went on to say, praise and exalt, I praise, exalt, and honor God, you for all your works are truth. Truth matters because God is a God of truth. He's revealed the truth. Reality is in what God reveals, not what you perceive it to be, what the culture says that it is. It's not a moving target. It's absolute. It's rooted in His character. It's revealed in His Word. It's personified in His Son by that. Invest in that. Proactively seek that. What? The knowledge of God's Son and the personification and principles revealed in His life. Pursue the knowledge and the understanding of God's Word where the truth can be extracted, when you can gain wisdom, principles to apply, life convictions, training in the truth, instruction, and understanding to apply the truth so that you can live the kind of life that God wants you to live, the kind of life that's transformational. The truth matters because God, the God of the truth, uses servants who are saturated with the truth. People who know His Son and who know His Word. Listen to the encouragement of Exodus 18 when the God of truth prescribes those who will lead and judge his people, select out of all the people able men who fear God, Exodus 18, 21, men of truth. The prophetic statement of Samuel to God's people, calling them to serve the Lord in truth, Verse 21, 1 Samuel 12, you must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things. Turn aside from the truth and go after empty things, vain things, futile things, which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Verse 23, at the end, I will instruct you in the good and right way. Fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. And consider what great things He has done for you. And if you do wickedly, you abandon the truth. You reject the truth. You don't serve in the truth or walk in the truth. Both you and your king will be swept away. Master's University student, you are in a place of unrivaled benefit. Because this place is all about the truth. The revelation of God in His Word, the truth revealed in it, and the revelation of His only Son, the personification of it. 
When your parents came to drop you off this year and last year, I would say to them, thanks for entrusting your child to us. We'll do our best to do what we promised to do. Thanks for investing with us. I know this was not without cost. And we are expensive, but we're affordable. That's what I would say. Because there are ways to provide support and provision to help you go to school here. And I'd talk to your parents about that. And then I would say this, and I want you to hear this. You're going to pay for an education, and you should. And your children, your young people are going to get a great education. And I would say to you, you're going to get a great education governed and guided by the truth. It's a great education. It's not just a education. It's a great education. In the business department, the 77% rate, the pass rate for the accounting exam, the CPA exam, is the highest in the state of California. You heard us talk about that. Stanford, UCLA, Westmont, Biola, USC. They're somewhere in the 50s or lower. 95% of our pre-medical students get into medical school. 94% of our students who want to go to graduate school get into graduate school. We're in a 10-year accreditation. You get to go to study in Israel for a semester. You're going to get a great education and I would tell your parents, and you ought to pay for that, but we're going to give you things you can't pay for. We're going to give you things that I'm going to call priceless. And this is what I say capitalize. I'm going to motivate you to buy the truth, invest in it, but I want you to capitalize on your opportunity to experience it because of this. Never again. Will you ever be in a season of life where you have so many allies united in your favor to promote and invest seeds of truth into your life? Never again will you have so many assets from the dorm wing to the dorm room to the classroom to the athletic fields or this court. Really from the folks who take care of the grounds to the folks that clean the buildings and serve the food. There is an abundance of, of synergy, a, a, an alliance of partners, administration, staff, and faculty who are collectively committed to promoting the truth, anchored in the truth of God's absolute authority, His desire to change your heart through the truth, to sanctify your life in a season unrivaled relationally, and to call you to gospel-proclaiming truth, gospel witness. Capitalize on that. That's priceless. People talk about the bubble, you know, the Christian bubble. I, I need to get out of the bubble. Let me tell you what the bubble does. The bubble insulates you from... Elements that can, like a greenhouse, protecting you while you develop and grow. You're not fully finished yet. You're 18 to 22 or thereabouts. You're in the formation mode. You're in a season where you are shaping your thinking. And you don't know what you don't know. And when you go to a place that's not united in the truth, committed to the truth, when you don't sell out and buy that 
and invest in that, you're vulnerable to the influences of a culture that's swift and a world that is powerful. I preached in Dallas not long ago, and a young man came, actually it was Anaheim, a young man came up to me, and he, he, he talked to me about seminary, and he's going to Princeton's Divinity School. And I said, why do you want to go to Princeton? I understand the prestige. I went to Brown. I get that. But don't you want to go somewhere where they tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And do you want to have to filter what's true and not true? Are you smart enough to know? Are you wise enough to understand when the truth is not told to you? Exactly how much study have you had versus how much preparation have they had before they purvey and communicate what is true, and you have to ass assess that. No, what I recommend to you is you go to a place that you can trust is going to tell you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, to anchor you and ground you. Buy that. Invest in that. Because that's priceless. Listen, you're going to get a great education here. I want you to capitalize on that. But more than that, I want you to capitalize on the truth potential you have to know the Son of God who's revealed in the God's Word the personification of truth. And I want you to saturate with the Word of truth because you're in a culture that desperately needs truth-tellers. And look, selling out on the truth means you trade it for something lesser. This passage talks about the lesser. I'll just highlight them and then I need to be finished four necessary no's. Selling out the truth can involve letting your heart envy sinners. I call that no unholy heroes. You envy someone. You want what they have. You want to be what they are. You want and desire the, the talent they have, the stuff they have, the fame they have, the popularity they have. Don't envy sinners. Don't want what they have. Live in the fear of the Lord always, verse 18. Surely there's a future. There's a latter end. Look at that. Recognize your latter end versus their latter end. No unholy heroes. Don't want what they have. Verse 20. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine and gluttonous eaters of meat. No unwholesome associations. I call these truth underminers. These are truth misleaders. Unholy heroes, people who are undisciplined and carnal. That word heavy drinker is wine-bibber. It means a person who has an unrestrained appetite, gets together for the express purpose of drinking to the point of intoxication. We live in a party culture. Don't hang out with those kind of unwholesome associations. It results in painful poverty. Say no to that. Buy the truth. Don't sell out the truth to do that. Verse 26, give me your heart, my son. Let your eyes delight in my ways, for a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. She lurks as a robber. She increases the faithless. That's the opposite of the word truth. Not the faithful, but those who are treacherous, they abandon the truth. She increases the faithless, the, the non-truth livers among men. No immoral relations. It's a deep pit. You can't get out. And then this last part, no addictive actions, this whole section on 
the woe of mixed wine. Mixed wine is not mixed with water. It was mixed with aromatic spices to increase the stimulation and the intoxication potential. Not strong drink. Stay away from that. Don't look on it. Don't desire it. Why? There's bitter consequences. It stings like a viper. Now, the word stings not strong enough. Some vipers have two-inch long fangs. They have a wide draw, jaw and they can latch, like Paul in the book of Acts when he reached into the wood and it grabbed onto him. It can get deep. But often, a viper strikes really fast, hits you with a strong, venomous attack, and there is great and incredible pain. And what this passage is attempting to say is, hey, look. No addictive actions, no, no alcohol addictions because it's painful and the consequences are painful like a viper sting is painful. And then this discomforting, I can't function, this verse 33, your, your head doesn't work and you say things you, you regret and I want to die discomfort, verse 34, you're, you're, you're like one who lies down in the middle of the sea and like one who lies down on the top of a mat. That's just talking about seasickness. Have you ever been seasick? If you ever have, you'll remember it. You want to die. You're green, you're pale, you can't. It's bad. This is all the hangover stuff. Bitter consequences. I want to die discomfort. I can't feel anything. I don't learn from anything disconnection. Verse 35, they struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it in the callous condition of the drunkard. And when I awake, I go back and I do it again, an enslaving control and irrational addiction. By the truth means I'm going to invest at cost. I'm going to study to show myself approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm going to learn all I can. I'm going to give it all I got. And I know we're at the time of the semester where you start to flag. Dig in. Get all you can get. Maximize your opportunity, not just academically, but spiritually. Buy the truth and don't sell out. Don't compromise it for anything. Don't trade it for a lesser thing. Say no to unholy heroes, unwholesome associations immoral relations and addictive actions no 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 big yes to the truth i want you to capitalize because god the king wants to use you to advance his kingdom it'll make your parents smile but more than that it'll honor the king of everything Father, thank you this morning for the great privilege we have of coming together, reflecting on your word. Lord, I pray for these young men and women who have the unique privilege to be in this place that is Christ-exalting and truth-telling. Lord, and I pray that they would maximize this season, that they would capitalize on the priceless benefit they have to grow in the truth to know what they believe, why they believe it, and to learn how to live it out in love. Lord, help us to be world changers, world impactors, and God honorers. Help us to buy the truth and never sell it. In Jesus' name.